0: It's good to be with you guys today. I'm so glad to be here. And it's good to see y'all, and I hope you have your Bibles with you. And if you do, we're continuing in 1 Peter chapter 4. We're finishing up chapter 4, and then there's only chapter 5 left, so this weekend and two more weekends in uh, in 1 Peter. And uh, what we've been praying towards um, for our next sermon series that would begin somewhere towards the beginning of October, and we're just trusting the Spirit to give us His direction on whether to move forward or not and how to develop it if we do. Uh, But what we're leaning towards, what we feel like we're being led towards is our next series through the month of October, essentially, is going to be the gospel and politics. I don't know if y'all can hear them at home right now or not, but they're like wooing and oohing and aahing and like, it's like a nervous anticipation is what it sounds like to me. But uh, yeah, we're praying about that. We always want to be spirit-led. We, we, we aren't the type of church that preaches what's on the front page of the newspaper. Kind of like what we're doing right now, we preach through whole books of the Bible. With occasional exceptions, we'll do some topical teaching on some certain like life-central things that we really just need to grasp a biblical perspective on. But I tell you, like I, trust me, if we go this direction... Um, This October doesn't mean we're going to do it every time. Um, We are in an election year. It really has very little to do with the election, even though one of the weeks would be the gospel in the election. Um, We are just in such a politically charged society that is washed up through the front door of every one of our houses. And I think that the best way, and I'm asking God to like show us the way. I'm thinking the best way to equip the church in a time like this in our history it's to help equip our people to have gospel lenses on as they see these things from COVID to race to the election. I want the people of God to see those things through the lens of the word of God instead of seeing the word of God through the lens of those things. So that's what we're praying about. And now that I done set it and charged you up, you're going to have your hopes up. So we'll, we'll see what the Lord does with all that. Hey, if you're watching online, thanks for tuning in. YouTube, if you're watching on YouTube, click the subscribe button, would you? If you're watching on Facebook, click the share button, would you? Uh, If you're watching on our website, thank you for joining us. Uh, Please share this with your friends. We're glad that y'all tuned in, but welcome to Grace Bible this morning as we continue a discussion through the book of 1 Peter that was written to, this was a letter that was written to Christians all the way back in the first century of Rome to encourage them through one of the most difficult times in the history of the Christian faith. Christianity was brand new. It had not been long that Jesus died on the cross, was resurrected from the grave, and then ascended back into heaven in the presence of hundreds of witnesses to be back with the Father. And they were left, those witnesses were left with the commission, those disciples were left with the commission to go and make more disciples. Well, that works in an environment where disciples want to be made. But in first century of ancient Rome, Nero just assumed wipe them all out. And he took a whole lot of steps. The persecution on the Christian church in the first century was extraordinary and unbelievable. People lost their lives by the millions in the first few centuries for professing faith in Jesus Christ. Showing up to a Christian gathering, being publicly baptized this day and age here in Bible Belt, central Florida where we're landlocked. Um, Is still somewhat celebrated, but at that particular point in that time, and quite honestly, friends, throughout the globe right now, it is not. Declaring Jesus as Lord, going through public baptism, a public declaration of faith, gathering together with other believers could cost you your life, will most likely cost you your job, and will definitely cost you your relationships. That's the reality of the world outside of the U.S. of A. And I can tell you our day is coming I'm not a doom and gloomer, but I did read the end of the book, and it's going to get worse. And so I say, come, Lord Jesus, come. I've had enough of this riffraff. Hey, you can come and get us anytime you want. We are ready to go. As a matter of fact, uh, I, need, I need to confess something to you. I made a mistake last week. Uh, I misunderstood a certain section of what we were learning, and as I always do, I preached it passionately. And I told you the wrong thing, very passionately. Um, I've told you guys, bring your Bibles to church, study the word of God right alongside us. I'm not going to always get it right. My flesh gets to flapping or I misunderstand a passage or I'll be so busy looking at the trees. I'll miss the forest. It happens. This dude is extremely imperfect. Um, but I'm, I'm thankful for our, our, one of our elders grabbed me last Sunday and said, Hey, you know, you totally botched verse seven. And we, like, spent a lot of time on verse 7. I was like, yeah, you know, telos means this, and this is how it applies to your life, and, like, totally missed the point. Um, and so let me confess that to you. And let me clear it up for you what it really means. Um, I'm thankful for godly elders in our church that are just immersed in prayer and in word of God. And don't hesitate to pull me aside after church on Sunday and say, hey, you dropped the ball. You missed informed our people on a certain passage of scripture we need to tighten that up and so here it is verse 7 of chapter 4 before we get in the conversation today we need to talk about it because it's going to shape the way we look at the section we're going to talk about today Uh, chapter 4 verse 7 he says this simple statement the end of all things is at hand Uh, matter of fact I'll just leave you with that the end of all things is at hand Um, that informed our conversation last week because it was kind of calling us to recognize that, hey, we don't, we don't need to go back to our old ways of thinking and believing and being back into those sinful patterns of life, but in light of the end of all things being at hand, or we use the word telos, um, we need to move forward into living the way that Christ has called us to live, allowing him to display his perfect love through us and hospitality and using our gifts to serve the body so that the world can see the perfect love of Jesus, and we started sniffing down that trail, and I talked about telos being kind of the finished work of Jesus in your life right now, and yeah, it probably does mean that in some way, but ultimately what Peter is saying, he's trying to give us a view of the return of Jesus. Like, in other words, you don't have to slip back into your old ways of thinking and being and doing, slip back in those old relationships, slip back into those sinful patterns, but you can, you need to move forward into this faithful, obedient living that God has called us to because of telos, because Hey, Jesus is coming back, and we need to live in light of eternity as the people of God. We don't need to live for the here and now. We need to have a kingdom above the line, eternal perspective, not a temporary one, an eternal perspective. That the finished work of Jesus tell us, he's eventually going to come back. He's come before, and it shook the world. We're still debating it. It's 2,000 years old. If it weren't true, then why are we still arguing it 2,000 years later? He came once. It shook the world. He's going to come back. It's going to break open the sky. He's going to take his church to be home with him, and all this broken stuff is going to be fixed once and for all for the last time. And live in light of that. Why in the world knowing that's coming would we ever want to go back to our old ways of thinking and believing and doing when Jesus has called us into something greater, something more worthwhile? And that's important that we get that right, verse 7, because it shapes what we're going to be talking about today as we dive in a little bit deeper into Christian suffering. Peter's talked a lot about this because, remember, he's writing this to suffering people who are experiencing persecution for their faith. And it's important for us to continue to dive into this in our discussion because we are living amongst some challenging days. The 21st century America is looking more and more like first century Rome. Um, Just go back and read Romans chapter 1 and see if that doesn't sound like the world you live in. Don't do it right now. I'll be watching. (laughs) We're in 1 Peter. That's why we titled this Enduring Through the Hard Stuff, this thing called life. So let's read what the Word of God has to say to us today in this next section of this encouraging letter from the Apostle Peter. Uh, Beloved, verse 12, do not be surprised at the fiery trial... When it comes your way, comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice, in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Again, that goes back to verse 7. It's gonna be made clear to everybody. Philippians 2 says, Every one day every knee's gonna bow, every tongue's gonna to fest. The glory of Jesus will be made clear. He says, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name, the name of Jesus. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to the faithful creator while doing good. It's the word of the Lord for you this morning. Let's pray together and ask the Holy Spirit to be our great translator. Father, you are the one that inspired these words. These were penned through the hands of men but from the very heart of God. And they are timeless and true. And it's these words that can transform our lives. They can give us hope. They can bring conviction. But God, I confess to you this morning as a very human, very imperfect man, that my words are not enough to cultivate change in the life of our people. So would your spirit step in and be our great translator? Lord, would you speak to us in such a deep and profound way that it transforms us, that it calls us up into life of Christ, and helps us better see and understand what you have meant for our Christian life and our Christian existence. Lord, this is your church, and these are your people, and this is your word. So you take center stage. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Uh, Probably, uh, I I think what we're going to do this morning to make this section of Scripture as easy to digest as possible, we're going to look at it as what Peter has basically given to us as Christians. Uh, who are going through suffering because of their Christian faith. He's given us essentially four attitudes for you note takers that like succinct bullet point lists, all right? Four attitudes that he is revealing to us, that he is inviting us into, that he is encouraging us to allow Jesus to live and display through our lives. These four attitudes to live triumphantly when you are going through Christian suffering. Now, the reason why I keep emphasizing the point of Christian suffering, just to make the clear delineation here, this is not biblical truths or a four point bullet point list of of your regular ordinary Joe how to deal with hard stuff in your life, whether you had a bad day, a bad month, a bad year, like this. This is not just a word of encouragement and truth to the general populace of unbelievers or cultural, casual Christians. I call this Christian suffering because this is something that's aimed specifically at people whose suffering is a result of their faithfulness to God. Catch the difference. I'm not just talking about the hard stuff of humanity that we all experience, I'm talking about actual legitimate persecution and insults and rejection and hardship that is brought on as a direct result of our faithfulness and our obedience. Humbly before the Lord. And I know that some of y'all are experiencing that right now. Some of y'all. I know that some of y'all are experiencing that in your relationships with friends that don't believe in Jesus. I know that some of you are experiencing that in your relationships with people that are within the body of Christ, whether it be in this church or another church. I bet you some of you are experiencing that in your own family dynamic, By not only unbelievers, but also people who proclaim to be Christians, who really do love and worship the Lord, but yet maybe unknowingly they are bringing the weight of persecution in your life as a Christian. And you are suffering because you have taken a hard step of obedience or faith with God. You have decided to to maintain your obedience to him instead of kind of slipping to the wisdom of the world and your family and friends or your church family just don't get it. Or maybe you've taken a hard step to take a stand in your life and not compromise in an area that your friends and your family and whoever don't understand why in the world they've already done the theological acrobatics around it and have found a justifiable way to live in that particular sin. And they don't understand why you won't. like, I mean, there's a billion and one options. Let's just call it like that. But I bet you some of you are in this category. I did want to make clear, we're not just talking about average Joe suffering here that we all experience. We're talking about the stuff that is brought on by a true and humble walk with Jesus. And he says, here's, here's first attitude of the heart right here. He says, beloved, don't be surprised when that fiery trial comes upon you. In other words, here's attitude number one. Expect it. Duh. The world you're living in is not walking in the words of ways of Jesus. So if you are, it ain't always going to work out in your favor, is it? You realize in the United States of America that 62% of people still, even this day and age, 62% of people claim, if they filled out a a Gallup poll survey or whatever, would claim to be a part of the Christian faith. Um, But let me ask you, even amongst that 62%, so that's still a pretty significant majority, Even amongst that 62%, would you say that the majority of people or even the majority of Christians follow in the words and ways of Jesus or are offended by the words and ways of Jesus? Let's be honest with each other. I would say so. I would say even within the body, there's certain things that you don't want to preach about because somebody's going to get offended. Because we don't like the Word of God to reveal our issues, our unbelief, our lack of Christ-likeness in our life. We want a preacher that's going to do the theological acrobatics to make the word of God agree with the way I see the world. But what kind of God would that be and what kind of word would he left behind if all it did was agree with our chaos and our mess? He has a higher standard, his glory is greater, his throne is higher, So we need to be constantly coming into collision with the truth of the Word of God, and it causes us to reevaluate and to transform our lives. So for those of you that truly are aiming, striving, working towards walking in the words and ways of Jesus, he said, don't be surprised when the trials come upon you, because they will. Notice that he used the word when, when they come upon you. He's assuming. That anybody that bears the name of Jesus as a Christian is going to experience trials. And he says, you shouldn't be surprised when those trials come because of you living out your faith. Which really begs the question then, should, be, should we be surprised if trials don't come when we feel like we're living out our faith? Hey, thank you for the courtesy laughter there on the third row. I'm digging that. If we're not supposed to be surprised when we do experience persecution, does that mean that we should be surprised if we're not? Hmm? Peter's suggesting right here that if we're not experiencing Christian suffering in some way, persecution, rejection... In some way through our obedience and faith in a world that largely pushes back against the words and ways of Jesus. If we're not experiencing some sort of rejection, persecution, insult, something, like could it be, could it be that our life looks more like the world than it does like Jesus? And that's how we've just kind of flown under the radar. Could it be? Now, for those of you that are experiencing that, you have a real-life situation going on in your life right now where you are feeling the pressure of your faithfulness to God, and it is costing you something in your life right now. I want to I show you this little sweet little reminder that the Apostle Peter gives us. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Now, we don't like hearing that, but let, let me remind you of this old adage that we oftentimes sling around in the churches. Hey, um, God won't waste your pain and nor should you. There is a purpose for this pain. There is a purpose for this suffering. And according to Peter right here, he says, it's going to come upon you to test you. Lord, I'd be happy to go without the test. Thank you very much. Now, just to be clear, he's not talking about testing you to see if you're in or you're out. Obviously, he's talking to people who are in. These are people who are already experiencing suffering because of their walk with Jesus in a world that largely, in part, wants to have nothing to do with Jesus. The test he's talking about here, similar to what James was taught, the the book of James is talking about, that it's through the testing of our faith that perseverance is developed in our life. Like, it's this idea of godly testing that's happened in our life, and it it would be akin to the analogy that we oftentimes use when we talk about the testing of God, Um, the analogy of the silversmith and the refiner's fire, you know, like, a silversmith that's purifying silver, like he, he turns up the heat and it makes all the impurities rise to the top and he scrapes those off and he turns up the heat a little bit more and the impurities rise to the top and he scrapes that off and he does this over and over again until he eventually, he knows that the silver is pure when he can see his own reflection in it. This is the testing that God is doing right here. Did you know that his will for your life is to transform you into the likeness of Jesus? So yeah, guess what he's doing, turning up the heat so the impurities rise to the top and he scrapes them off and he turns up the heat. We don't like hearing that, but God's not wasting your pain and nor should you. Recognize that this is the work of God being displayed in your life right now as you're going through your stuff that has been brought on by your faithful walk with the Lord. Hopefully that is. And so that's attitude number one is expect it. Don't be surprised, are you kidding me? There's no way you could be a camouflaged Christian in the 21st century of America. If you're gonna live out your faith, you're gonna experience the results of that, for sure. And I tell you what, we got it good compared to the rest of the world, people. This persecution of first century Rome is still alive and well. In other parts of the globe, brothers and sisters in Christ today will give up their life for the sake of the gospel. Today, before you eat lunch, somebody just like you that loves their kids, that works hard throughout the week to provide for their family, that has heartaches, is begging God for transformation in their life, that's begging God for transformation in their city. One of your brothers and sisters in Christ, many of them will give their life today for the sake of the gospel. First attitude of our heart is don't be surprised. That's a natural result. Don't be surprised. The second thing he says, it's the only one that's not an E, and I'm trying to use the the actual words that are in the scriptures right here. And he says, but, what's that word, but? Rejoice. Say rejoice. rejoice. Does it sound strange to you, those of you that have been sitting here under my teaching, at least for the last six to eight weeks, that we are to rejoice when we are going through seasons of suffering? Like, we've heard this before. As a matter of fact, it's all over the writing in the New Testament, that we are to rejoice. This is the second attitude of our heart, that you need to rejoice even though you may not be feeling joy. Because, you know, what's funny, modern science, this is one of the many ways modern science is just starting to catch up with the ancient word of God. And it's just within most of our lifetimes that modern science has discovered that, The joy part of your brain and the spirituality part of your brain are interconnected. They're just getting caught up to God knowing how he designs you and knowing that the, the recipe for you moving through this season of suffering in your life is you have to rejoice. He wired you that way. Even when you don't feel joy, rejoice in the Lord anyways. And again, I will say rejoice. This is all over the New Testament for kingdom people to Rejoice, and he goes on to say, here's why. He says, we need to rejoice as you are sharing in Christ's sufferings. That's what insofar means. Rejoice. You're getting an opportunity to share in Christ's sufferings, being persecuted for that faith, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. I can tell you that day, Harken back to verse 7, when the fullness of the glory of Jesus is revealed and every knee vows and every tongue is confessing that he is Lord, I can tell you, those of you who suffered through this short time called life, you're, you're, the, the, the collective emotional response is gonna be, man, that was so worth it. Man, I'd do it all over again for this right here. That was so worth it. So rejoice, rejoice. And he goes on to say this is, this is why we need the word of God to be our guide and not the voice of the culture around us. He says, but well, we're gonna rejoice in that and also if you are insulted for the name of Christ, Rejoice because you are, verse 14, because you are blessed. Blessed? What? I thought we just established that I was suffering. What do you mean I'm, I'm blessed? Rejoice in the Lord while you are suffering because you are, you are blessed. Hey, listen, listen. Tune in very closely. This is one of the many places... In the Word of God, post the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that are written to his kingdom people, this is one of the many places that flies in the face of this Americanized gospel that we affectionately refer to as the prosperity gospel. One of the many places. Okay, now for my prosperity gospel folks that are going to email me this week, um, lean in right now, listen very closely. In general, for those of you that don't understand what I mean by prosperity gospel, it's essentially this very, very large, very global, very, it is out there and it is on a large scale teaching that the word of God teaches that if we do right, we'll get right. In other words, by being obedient to the Lord, he will give you the gifts that you want. Health, wealth, prosperity, success, fill in the blank, as if that's how God economics works. Works. This is one of the many places in Scripture that flies in the face of that bad heresy called the Americanized gospel, prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel says do right and get right. Word of God says do right and get persecuted, get insulted, maybe even lose your life. Heck, I don't know. You see it? I'm not making it up. It's in your own copy too. There it is, you know. The word "bless," blessed, bless, blessing shows up all throughout the New Testament, 112 times. 112 times. This particular time that it shows up, it's using the word "makarios." Say "makarios." Okay, just so you know. Okay, out of the 112 times that the word "blessed," bless, blessing. 112 times this shows up in the New Testament to kingdom people who worship the resurrected Savior Jesus. Out of 112 times, guess how many of those times, it is tied to something material, that your blessing from God is tied to something material. Better health, more wealth, greater success. Guess how many times out of 112? Yes, yes, yes. 110, 5, 2, none. None. Not one, there ain't one. There's not one example where the idea of blessing in the New Testament is tied to anything material at all. Now health, wealth and prosperity are are good things. I want you to be healthy, I want you to be wealthy, I want you to be prosperous and successful and I want you to love that joy box in the meantime. On the way to your wealth and fame. All right, don't forget about us little people. That's all good stuff. And there's nothing wrong with it. Every good and perfect gift does come from above. Okay, so I'm not undermining the fact that a loving and good father gives gifts to his children that, that they like and they enjoy. That's part of what a good daddy does. But what I am saying is that if material things were in fact God's blessing to us, It would only be a matter of time until the motivation of our obedience caused us to worship the gifts instead of the giver. It's only a matter of time. If me doing right gets me the stuff I want, well, guess what my God is going to become? The gifts, not God. And let me just shoot straight with you. I'm going to say it good and loud, maybe even say it twice for the folks in the back. The wisdom of God would never honor our faithfulness by giving us our idols. I know, that, I know that the Americanized Prosperity Gospel has had a huge impact on our culture and the global culture, too. It's, it's in every country in the world, and it's big and it's loud because it's what people want to hear. But, but let me tell you about the God of the Bible, watching online, here in person. The wisdom of God would never reward our faithfulness by giving us more of our idols. That's just going to draw us away from Him. That word blessing, that word makarios, in the Greek, it means to be fully satisfied. Like, how many of you would love to just be fully satisfied? That's what makarios means to be fully satisfied. And if you haven't noticed, more money didn't make you more satisfied. A good bill of health didn't make you more satisfied because now that you were healthy, you wanted more money so you could go do more stuff because you were healthy. Like, that's not makarios blessing. That's not biblical blessing. Matter of fact, every time blessing is used, let me just give you a few examples of the 112. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Those are all Matthew 5. Those are all Jesus' words. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it, Luke 11. Blessed are those whose sins are forgiven, hallelujah, Romans 4. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelations 14. Listen, Peter's not saying that suffering and trials are the blessing, but he is telling us that suffering and trials are the are the downspout of the grace of God into our lives. Grace only flows downhill, people. Grace only flows downhill. So when we are intoxicated by the pride of life and our self-sufficiency and Look what I've accomplished because of my intelligence. Look what I've accomplished because of my obedience to God. Look at what my obedience has gotten me bigger and better and more. Grace only flows downhill, people, when we're high and mighty on the pedestal of life thinking it was because we did right, we got right. We will never experience the fully satisfying Makarios blessing of God. The suffering is not the blessing. The suffering is the window at which God gives Himself, the ultimate blessing of full satisfaction through. This this Christian author of Vanitha Reisner, I think is how you pronounce her name, she said it like this. Well, what is blessing then? Scripture shows that blessing is anything God gives that makes us fully satisfied in Him, Akarios. Anything that draws us closer to Jesus, anything that helps us relinquish the temporary and hold more tightly to the eternal. And often it is the struggles and trials and aching disappointments and the unfulfilled longings that best enable us to do that. It is when you're coming up short, it's when you don't have enough, it's when you're hurting that you long for the presence of God, that you long for Him to step into the story, that you long for Him to make things right, that you long for Him to provide. And you know what? Grace flows freely downhill to those who are humble before him, to those whose knees are bowed, to those whose hearts are broken, to those who just realize that the world doesn't satisfy very well because it just crushed me again. Makarios blessing from God is meant for those who would truly trust in him for their satisfaction. This is a beautiful picture that he gives right after that. He says, if you are insulted by the name of Jesus Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit Of glory and of God rest upon you. You know, as a Christian, uh, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have the promise through the gospel that the Spirit of the living God, Jesus promised that this would happen. It's already happened. We saw it take root in Acts chapter 2, that the Spirit of the living God comes to dwell inside of you. So you've got the Spirit of God living in you as Christians. You hear us talk about this all the time. But Peter adds to this, which is kind of interesting, he says that. When you are being persecuted for your faith, for taking a stand, being insulted for the name of Jesus, you are blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. Like this is an extra measure of the grace of God in your life. You know, scholars say that, many scholars say that what Peter was pointing to was kind of the Old Testament idea of the Shekinah glory of God. It was like the radiant, obvious glory of God it was displayed, like it was, when God was displayed in such a way that everybody had to take notice, like, oh my gosh, there's a pillar of fire by day and a pillar of cloud by night. Or it was the opposite. Pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. There's God. That's definitely him. When God would show up and he spoke to Joshua as the commander of the Lord's army, like just this, just this undeniable presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God. And hey, do you catch what he's telling you, those of you who are suffering? Because of your faith, suffering hardship, because of your obedience to God or whatever, do do you catch the picture? Not only are you blessed because he is pouring himself out on you through the ways of satisfying you and your deepest longings and your deepest hurts, but he's also resting his glory upon you, that Shekinah kind of glory that is undeniable. And oh, by the way, you probably don't notice it because you're the one going through the hard stuff, but we notice it. The people around you are seeing the radiance of Christ displayed in your life. Some of y'all can relate to that because you know somebody that's like that or walking through that right now. Man, it's your third time going through chemotherapy. How is it that you still have so much joy and peace about all of this? And they're like, oh, it's not me, it's just Jesus, you know? Like they're experiencing the, the mercies of God resting upon them in an obvious and undeniable display. They can't help it. This is what God has done in them, through them, and for them. All they're doing is continuing to cling to the Lord, clinging to what is eternal and not what is temporary. Maybe we should do the same because the promise is the glory of God would rest upon us that the world might take notice, that he is worthy and he is good, and he cannot be ignored, and he will not be denied. So that's, that's, uh, we want not expect, number one, we want not expect it to come. That's going to come. We want to um, rejoice when it gets here because, yes, yeah, suffering is going to happen when you're walking in the ways of Jesus. If you're going to walk in the ways of Jesus, chances are you're going to get treated like Jesus got treated. Uh, that's just how it works. And, um, but the third thing, if you've checked out, you need to check back in because everybody needs to hear this. The third thing in verse 15, he says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Uh, This is attitude number three, is you need to evaluate. Look, I know we are professional self-victimizers. I will make every excuse and every reason about how it wasn't my fault that this is happening to me. I will spiritualize it. Oh, this this is God testing me, or this is the devil tempting me. When in reality, Grace Bible, the devil don't have to roll out of bed most mornings for us to wreck our lives. We'll do that all on our own. We give him full credit for something that we authored up on our own. So he says, evaluate. That's attitude number three. You need to take a long, hard look at this situation. Are you truly, are you truly experiencing the hardship and the hurt and the persecution and the rejection and the insults because you are humbly and willfully submitting yourself to the Lord, even though the world around you is rejecting that? Or is it because... You have a bad attitude, and you just label that as, well, it was my Christian responsibility to speak the truth to the world. And so that's why I lost friends. That's why I've hurt people I love. I'm not sure if I should meddle down the road on this one much longer. I've got so many great examples of how this plays out into our life. But, um, okay, why not? We're here. We're here to are together. You know what I'm saying? Y'all are watching online. Um, hmm. he's reminding us to evaluate ourselves to make sure that we didn't bring this upon ourselves we oftentimes take partial spiritual truths and we cling to those to justify our bad behaviors instead of Walking in the whole spiritual truth, maybe one of the easiest, most universally identifiable ones of those of you that have self-appointed yourself as Facebook snipers, um, and you love to like tell the world the truth. The world needs to know the truth, and so you like plaster it all over. Maybe some of y'all are just loud from the mouth. Y'all just want to tell the world the truth, but you've forgotten that the call of the Christian body in Ephesians chapter four is that we speak the truth in love so that everyone would grow up into Christ Jesus. That's the call. We were never told to speak the truth. We were told to speak the truth in love so that everyone could grow up into Christ Jesus. What you're refusing to recognize in your personal life, in your relationships, in your whatever it is, the chaos that we've brought upon ourselves, oftentimes is because of our bad attitude. Often is because of our bad decision making. Often is because our compelling force wasn't the love of Christ. It wasn't the love of Christ that compelled us, but it was our bad attitude and our anger and our frustration that compelled us to do a thing and say the thing. And so now that we're experiencing some persecution, some hardships, some people pushing back on us in our lives, we want to say, Oh, to the glory of God that I live my life like a wrecking ball and try to destroy everybody around me that doesn't see the world the way I see it. To the glory of God. Evaluate. Evaluate. He gives us a full spectrum of sins right there that can oftentimes be misguided, justification of our suffering. And he says, hey, don't be found as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Somebody just can't keep their nose in their own business um, because you're bringing that mess upon you. Like this Christian suffering we're talking about here is humble and obedient submission to God, even when we know it's going to cost us something. And for some of you it has, and for some of you it is. Some of you are being rejected by the people that you love the most right now because you're choosing to be obedient to the Lord's word and his ways, even though it's not popular and it's not comfortable and it's costing you something. Well, the word of God has something to say for you. Rejoice, my friends. Don't be surprised by this happening. This is a blessing from God. He is shaping you and refining you. He is pouring out his glory and his spirit on you. That Shekinah glory, that that radiant display of God is being made present in your life. He's doing a great work in you and through you and as you and evaluate. Where do you stand? Is this because you brought it on you? Is this because of your humble obedience to the Lord? He says, yet, if any of you does suffer as a Christian, because that's going to happen, you're going to evaluate, you're going to... Bring people around you to help you evaluate your situation. Did I do this to me? Is this because of my bad attitude? Or is this because, like, I'm really just laying it all down for the Lord here, and this is what he would worshipfully want me to do for him? Or Some of you are going to realize, yeah, man, this, this really is being brought on by faithful obedience to God through wise counsel. And if anyone suffers as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name, the name of Jesus. For it is time for judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us, then what will be the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Let me just sum this part up for you as quickly and succinctly as I can. In ancient Rome, for the people on the fringes, for the people that weren't interested in the faith of Jesus, Watching Christians be persecuted, being thrown into the Colosseum and devoured by wild animals, that would make you not want to be one of them. For sure. That's the extreme version of this. And maybe you're an outsider looking into the Christian faith. Maybe you're a fringe rider. Maybe you're just a casual, camouflage, cultural Christian. Because quite honestly, you, you don't want to be a part of the part of Christianity that costs you something. Um, For those that are in Christ, this is a reminder to you that the suffering that you're experiencing right now is just, it's going to be over soon. Jesus is going to come back. God beginning his judgment on his church is him purifying his body right now through this temporary season of suffering, this light and momentary troubles of the right now that we're living in this walk with Jesus. Like, your suffering is it's going to come to a conclusion soon, guys. Because Jesus is going to come back and he's going to get us and take us to be home with him. For those that are in Christ, the suffering is temporary and it will be over soon. But for those who are not in Christ, the suffering is just getting started. If the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? This is as much a warning to you if you're a fringe writer, if you've not stepped into a real relationship with Jesus. This is as much a warning to you as it is an invitation to you to trust Jesus as Lord, to step into this right now work of Jesus in your life right now, even if it costs you something for the sake of his glory and for your good. Because I can tell you, the Savior Jesus is coming back. He's going to right all the wrongs. He's going to fix all the broken stuff. He's going to straighten out all the crooked paths. He's going to make his people whole, and the suffering will come to an end. But for those who are not, man, you're just getting started. An old preacher told me one time, he said, Dustin, for the Christian, this is the only hell. Earth is the only hell they're ever going to experience. And for the not Christian, this is the only heaven. They're going to ever experience. Man, and this place is miserable, people. It's miserable. Even on its best day, it's crazy and chaotic and broken and hurtful. And like, man, I would invite you into knowing and understanding and giving your life to the Lord. That you might have a hope that the best is still yet to come. Last but not least, the fourth thing says, for those of you that are struggling through the hard stuff, that's been brought on by your faithfulness. Therefore, those who suffer according to God's will, entrust, say entrust, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Entrust the Lord with all of this stuff. He is trustworthy in all I love the fact that Peter calls him our faithful creator because it's a reminder that this is not a call for you to give your stuff and your life over to the Lord. This is an invitation for you to give it back to him. He's the faithful creator that authored you into existence to begin with. You've been his all along. And his perfect work in your life is being accomplished because of his faithful love in your life as the faithful creator. Give it all back to him. Trust in him in this work, number four. Trust that what he's doing is going to accomplish his perfect will for your life and a perfect good for you as well. You make mountains move, you make giants fall, you use songs of praise to shake prison walls. I will speak to my fear, I will preach to my doubt, you were faithful then, you'll be faithful now. Lord, have your way in us. We are yours, and we know that you're up to something. And you can be trusted, even when it doesn't make sense, but for those of your people that are suffering because of their faithfulness to you, God, would you step in and be the hero of the story? Would you be the extra mile of peace and resilience that they need to cling to their faith, to cling to their hope? And for those that don't know you, Lord, would you draw them into you? this morning, that their lives would never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen.